Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. The title of our reading this morning is Only by His Mercy That We Are Not Consumed. Lamentations chapter 3, 21 and 22. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. The way of the Lord's helping we may not know. This we do know. He will never fail those who put their trust in him. God's love for the fallen race is a peculiar manifestation of love, a love born of mercy. For human beings are all undeserving. Mercy implies imperfection of the object toward which it is shown. It is because of sin that mercy was brought into active exercise. The angels look with awe and amazement upon the mission of Christ to the world. They marvel at the love that moved him to give himself a sacrifice for the sins of men, but how lightly human beings regard the purchase of his blood. Those with whom we associate day by day need our help, our guidance. They may be in such a condition of mind that a word spoken in season will be as a nail in a sure place. Tomorrow, some of these souls may be where we can never reach them again. What is our influence over these fellow travelers? The God whom we serve is long-suffering. His compassions fail not throughout the period of probationary time. His spirit is entreating men to accept the gift of life. It is Satan's special device to lead men into sin and then leave him there helpless and hopeless, fearing to seek for pardon. But God invites, let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me. I found that little probationary time. There's a period of probationary time. Then I wonder if time is done away with altogether. I'm just not sure, but it's an interesting thought. I, you know, I remember reading uh, an author recently who said that, uh, God is using his power to restrain his own attributes. Uh, why would the author say that? Our world is the only spot in his vast creation that disobeyed his laws of love. Selfishness took the place of love on our planet. God's law had no provision to save one who was in rebellion or at enmity with him. Death is the consequence. Sin cannot exist in God's presence. In order to provide a way to give us a second probation, he's restraining himself from carrying out the sentence on the ugliness of sin. And that's why his mercy is being counted on by strongly by so many people. This restraint costs him something. Think for a moment. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present. Do you think he feels the feelings of all his creation? Is he omnipathic? Can he feel all the feelings of everyone at once who's suffering all the ugliness of the crimes of mankind? What about from the beginning of sin until the end? We're told that he inhabits eternity, the fourth dimension of time. Does he feel all that and what Jesus went through as well? Sin cannot exist without victims and all sin hurts someone. How hard would it be 
to restrain yourself from consuming the one who killed your son. Yet this one was given mercy also. Jesus said, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. His spirit interests, entreats us to accept the gifts of life. The Bible tells us in Ezekiel 33:11, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn from your evil ways, for why will you die? What if you felt all the feelings and pain of everyone who came into your home? What if you heard their thoughts? Uh, would you be careful who you invited? <laughs> what if your children in your home were innocent and vulnerable with a heart wide open to love everyone who came in? Would you be careful who you let in? Also, what if whenever you spoke a word, it happened instantly? You would have to restrain your words for the sake of the ones that you brought into your family if you cared about them, wouldn't you? I just ask these things because like for the rebel fallen in nature it is natural to feel angry and put out for being corrected for our selfish thoughts and words and feelings and God gets to feel all that whilst we excuse ourselves and blame him but we read that God invites let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me in Christ every provision has been made every encouragement offered take hold of Christ he is the strength that we take hold on don't be afraid if your feelings and thoughts are wrong come to Jesus those things can and will change over time and for some people they change very quickly some people get it right away what things are all about and they're really ready to let go of the fallenness of this world and take hold of God remember the people we associate with, they need help and guidance. We know not what a day will bring whenever we will breathe our last word. What words would you want to be the last words spoken to each one you meet? There's a warning in Matthew 25, verse 3. They that were foolish took no oil with them. They had no extra oil for their lamp. There's a promise in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. Why? For a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Father, we come to thee. No other help have we. Thou wilt our refuge be. On thee we call. Earth is but dark and drear, without thy presence near, be thou our comfort here, Father of all. Father, we come to thee, turn not away, helpless we come to thee, hear while we pray. Give us thy grace divine, seal us forever thine, our wayward feet incline from sin to flee. Oh, guide us, we implore, till weary life is o'er, and on a brighter shore we dwell with thee. Father, we come to thee, turn not away, help us, we come to thee, hear while we pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we are helpless, and we are coming to Thee, for You have said to take hold of Your strength. I pray for, not only for myself, Lord, but also for these who are here with me this morning. Help us to be able to take hold of Your strength, to understand what that means, to take hold of Jesus, and to know that He is our life. That when He tells us to drink the grape juice at communion, to drink it all, that it represents his life or his blood, that we are to take his life into our own selves. Thank you, Lord, for this provision. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm. Please join me tomorrow morning, my friends. Help us to go together and study together and learn together and to be prepared together. Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. We're beginning a new book this morning. It's going to be called God's Amazing Grace. And I think this year I'm going to end at the end of December and start the new book the 1st of January so I can get in sync. But our title of our reading this morning is Ruler Over All Nations. And the verse is Psalms 83, verse 18 that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. In the annals of human history, the growth of nations, the rise and fall of empires, appear as dependent on the will and prowess of man. The shaping of events seems, to a great degree, to be determined by his power, ambition, or caprice. But in the word of God, the curtain is drawn aside, and we behold behind, above, and through all the play and counterplay of human interests and power and passions, the agencies of the all-merciful one silently, patiently, working out the counsels of his own will. Every nation that has come upon the stage of action has been permitted to occupy its place on the earth, that it might be seen whether it would fulfill the purpose of the Watcher and the Holy One. While the nations rejected God's principles, and in this rejection wrought their own ruin, it was still manifest that the divine overruling purpose was working through all their movements. This lesson is taught in a wonderful symbolic representation given in the prophet Ezekiel chapters 1 and 10. A number of wheels intersecting one another were moving, moved by four living beings. The wheels were so complicated in arrangement that at first sight they appeared to be in confusion, but they moved in perfect harmony. Heavenly beings sustained and guided by the hand beneath the wings of the cherubim were impelling these wheels. Above them upon the sapphire throne was the Eternal One, and round about the throne a rainbow, the emblem of divine mercy, As the wheel-like complications were under the guidance of the hand beneath the wings of the cherubim, so the complicated play of human events is under divine control. Amidst the strife and tumult of nations, he that sitteth upon the cherubim still guides the affairs of the earth. The history of nations that one after another have occupied their allotted time and place speaks to us, to every nation, and to every individual of today. God has assigned a place in his great plan. All are by their own choice, deciding their destiny. 
and God is overruling all for the accomplishment of his purpose. Boy, that sentence is so poetic and powerful. I'm going to reread it in the word of God. The curtain is drawn aside, and we behold behind, above, and through all the play and counterplay of human interests and power and passions, the agencies of the all-merciful one, silently, patiently working out the counsels of his own will. God stands solidly on the foundation of his government, the moral code of love expressed in his Ten Commandments. Our governments on earth have thousands of laws, yet they're unable to enforce a peaceful, secure environment for their people. God permits complete freedom of choice, and yet, through it all, his will is being accomplished, and there will be an end to sin and sinners. We read that every nation has been given a chance to fulfill the purposes of the Watcher and the Holy One. The United States began with the principles of freedom that God approved, but as you and I know, anything left to humanity will eventually ultimately fail if God's principles are not followed. Revelation 13, 11 through 18 describes the rise and fall of the United States. It's here that the mark of the beast is going to be enforced first. This represents the beast of the United States. It has two horns, one for republicanism, one for Protestantism. These horns were as the horns of peaceful lamb, as expressed in Revelation 13, but later roar as a dragon. The horns represent separation of church and state, which is one of the reasons behind our power and freedom. Uh, because when church and state become joined, then the state uses the church. I mean, the church uses the state to punish religious sins, and that's what we saw happen during the Dark Ages with all of the martyrdom going on in our history. I'll not go into this today, but simply say our land is in jeopardy. The time is drawing on when its legislators shall so abjure the principles of Protestantism as to give countenance to Romish apostasy. The people for whom God has so marvelously wrought, strengthening them to throw off the galling yoke of popery, will be a national will by a national act give vigor to the corrupt faith of Rome and thus around the tyranny arouse the tyranny which only waits for a touch to start again into cruelty and despotism. When the Protestant churches shall seek the support of the secular power, and we've already seen that happen with Trump, beginning this already, thus following the example of that apostate church and for opposing which their ancestors, our ancestors, endured the fiercest persecution, then will there be a national apostasy which will end only in national ruin. That's a quote from the 1887 Great Controversy, page 410. Revelation 13, 11 to 18 tells of this fall. I'll read it for you. In Revelation, if you turn to chapter 13, if you want to follow along, 11 through 18. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. You'll note that this lamb, this beast, came up out of the earth. Uh, in the uh, prophetic uh, understanding of words um, the sea was peoples and nations and tongues the Bible tells you so specifically and the earth would be a lack of that it would be a very quiet place that's how the United States came up 
it came up sort of peacefully at first, people coming from different countries and there was lots of land and it wasn't crowded with peoples and nations and tongues. And we had the uh, buffalo that looked kind of like a lamb with two little horns. But another beast coming up out of the earth, he had two horns like a lamb, as big as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. What was that beast that was before him? If you go back to Daniel, the statue, and then later on the animals, it's always Rome is the fourth beast. And that's the beast that happens before the United States comes up. But reading on, he doeth great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of the men. I've wondered about this because on the day of, of uh, Pentecost, when the fire came down like, oh, the Holy Spirit came down like tongues of fire over the heads of the disciples in the upper room, if that's what this is talking about, or if it's actually literal fire that somebody's going to bring down, although we've seen it happen here in different ways, but like the fires that were started all over in California and other places as well a few years ago. But he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. If it's the uh, a false outpouring of the Holy Spirit, then we're going to see a big movement of people who are possessed by a spirit, but it won't be the Spirit of God, because they won't be going along with the Bible. They'll have their own doctrines. All right, so reading on. And he doeth great wonders, so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image of the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Those who are um, prophecy histor historic buffs, historian buffs, <laughs> will know that that's referring to the, um, the the Vatican or the papacy that was thrown down when um, Napoleon's our army took him, his general took him captive, and there was that big revolution in France, and then the state and the church that had been together were then separated and took away the power from the Catholic Church at that time. Anyway, but going on. So it's here in the United States, we're going to make an image beast. In other words, it's going to set up a, say, another um, system that's similar like an image to that one. And... Um, we'll see that happen when people demand a Sunday law. I won't go there with that. Okay, I'll continue to read. He had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause it as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So people in the United States who don't go along with the rules of this, this system that they're going to set up are going to be threatened with death. And reading on, and he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. In other words, you're going to use your hand to support their beliefs or you're going to believe their system. It's going to be in your forehead or in your mind or your right hand or what you do. And that no man can buy or sell, save he that has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. So I'm not going to go anywhere with that any further than what we've just read, but we've, that's the rise and fall of the United States. But though this may seem scary to contemplate about the things that are coming on the earth, 
and right now what we see is sort of a soft pedaling of the Project Bluebeam coming out with all of these balloons being shot down and little things that people think might be UFOs and Ronald Reagan making that speech before the uh, national, the nation, well, United Nations, where he says that what would unite everybody would be if aliens attacked the earth and uh, we would all be united in, under one religion at that point. And he made that quite clear in his speech. And so now with Project Bluebeam, they're able to make that happen. You can see all kinds of amazing things, even on the Internet, like the uh, New Year's show that was shown at the Seattle Needle a few years back. That was so amazing. Um, they're able to do that now, and they're getting us ready for that so that we will all become united under one religion or one new world order, and we're getting prepared for that. But we can trust the Lord. He is able to bring us through whatever they do. And we read, it is still manifest that the divine overruling purpose is working through all these movements. And say, so this seems scary to contemplate. We read earlier, and I'll read it again, that in the word of God, the curtain is drawn aside, and we behold, behind, above, and through all, the play and counterplay of human interest and power and passion, the agencies of the all-merciful one, silently, patiently working out the counsels of his own will. And it's still manifest that this overruling purpose is working through all these movements. And though we know not what tomorrow will bring to us personally, we do know God will bring us through whatever he brings us to. You agree? Okay, I'm just going to have a closing prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, Lord, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please join me again tomorrow morning, my friends. We'll just do a little short visit together. <laughs>